It was a game Boston College had in hand, but one mistake too many cost it for the Eagles. We'll talk all about Boston College's loss on today's Locked On Boston College. You are Locked On Boston College, your daily podcast on the Boston College Eagles, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This is Locked On Boston College. I am your host, AJ Black. Thank you all for listening, and thank you for making this your first listen every morning and for making Locked On Boston College your choice to go to for your Boston College news and information. On today's show, we're going to recap a tough loss for the Eagles. They dropped Saturday's matchup in Death Valley 19-13 to in a game they were so tantalizingly close. Later in the show, we're going to break down the offense and defense with Mitch Wolf, who comes by every Monday. And But first, let's kind of break down what happened in this game. So Boston College, you know, we here had had thought all along that the Eagles matched up well with Clemson. They thought we thought the Tigers. This was the year for the Eagles to kind of go in and and stun them. Even though they were a fifteen point underdog, it seemed like Clemson was right for the picking here. Like this was the year BC could do it, and it didn't start off right. Right. So BC goes out there. They they look terrible on offense. You know, Grossell throws an early interception. The defense can't really make many many stops. And then right away, uh, Kobe Pace from Clemson he runs a 51 yard return or kick. I'm um, sorry, a run to open up the game seven nothing. And it automatically you're like, oh gosh, the defense on Clemson they're all, they're all over Dennis Grossell. I don't know where we're gonna go with this. But credit to the Eagles. I thought they stuck around. Uh, the offense never really got in rhythm. You saw them kind of move, and they got a couple field goals from Connor Lighton. Um, but the defense, the defense was so good in this game. And you can look at the stats and say, oh, they let up 480 yards. But look at the points. Look at the points the defense let up. And that was with Grossell throwing uh, two interceptions with um, – Terrible field position throughout the game. Uh, the defense just was able to, to do it. And so the game continues, right? Clemson get, continues to get the ball in great field position. That You know, whether it was due to um, an interception or what, what have you, and the defense would make a stop. Or, you know, Clemson would move down the field and the defense would make a stop. And, you know, their kicker, BT, uh, BT um, Potter, excuse me, I wanted to call him Harry Potter there for a second. Uh, he kept he kept kicking field goals, so credit to him. He was very good. Uh, the offense, though, it just wasn't clicking. Like, Grossell just kept going backwards. They were making so many, so many self-inflicted wounds. My God, if you're going to talk about blowing a game, part of that has to go with the penalties. There was one drive. I counted four BC penalties. They ended the game with 10 for 60 yards. They were just making stupid penalties. Throughout the game. So the offense, they're not clicking, you know, but credit to the Eagles. They they stick around. They're, the defense is, is, is holding it up. And then BC ties it. They kick a field goal. They tie the game. And Clemson, they go up on a field goal. Um, and they kick another field goal. But BC's still hanging around. You still feel them coming. And they start their final drive after a huge sack by Jason Matry uh, against DJ Uwe Agalale, who we'll talk about his struggles later. Um, 
he makes a big sack and BC gets the ball back. And then all of a sudden, Grossell seems to click. He's hitting passes to Joey Lucchetti. He hits some to Zay Flowers. He hits some Trey Par- Dre- Barry. They're moving down the field in the fourth quarter. It seems like everything's going BC's way. They're getting close to the end zone with like seconds to go. And if they score, they're going to win this game. And they're down to the 11-yard line. And all the momentum is going with BC. All the momentum. You're feeling it. You're like, oh my gosh, they're going to get it. And then what happens? He apparently looked up at the snap, uh, at the clock, uh, rushed the, the, the snap count, the Alec Lindstrom hiked it at the point where he wasn't prepared for it. He fumbles and Clemson takes over. A horrible way to lose a game. This is one of the most gut-wrenching endings of a BC game that I've seen probably since, gosh, Penn State 2014. This one just stung because BC was the better team last night, or on Saturday night, excuse me. They played better than Clemson, and they deserved to win that, and they didn't. And there was a few things that were out of their control, too. Like, BC left points out on the board. Believe me, Dennis Grossell didn't do himself any favors in this game. But the I'm not, I, I can blame the refs. There were two plays particularly that I thought the refs completely screwed Boston College. And and Clemson has their gripes, too, because that roughing the passer against uh, DJ uh, when he got, uh, sorry, when, when Grossell got hit on something that didn't even look like a hit, you know, I, they have their regrets too, but there were two particular plays that BC got hosed on that were that were game changing, and that was Jaden Williams had a thirty yard catch that I mean the ACC network didn't do a very good job of showing it. It looked like a catch from the angle they showed it, but the the refs overturned it. I mean the way he caught it, he caught it falling down, and the ball was on his chest. So I have no idea how he didn't catch that, but maybe there was another angle we didn't see. But that was one play. But the most egregious non-call was that offsides call against uh, Andrew Booth that they did not overturn. That was so ridiculously bad that they didn't call that. And it was game-changing because BC was right around, I think, midfield at this point. Grossell saw him jump offsides, snapped it, and got sacked for like a 10-yard loss. Got them out of field position. It was fourth down. It forced them to punt. Now, how ridiculous this play was, was Booth jumped in front of the defensive lineman. He was in the neutral zone. He was in the B-gap, as Mitch will talk about later. He was in the B-gap, and it was so clear. It wasn't even close. They didn't call it. They didn't call it. And it was it was game-changing because BC was moving the ball. They would have had an automatic first down. Instead, they go backwards. They have to punt the ball. They lose points. That's part of the game, too. Now, you can't just blame that one play, but that was a tough one to swallow, right? You know, Grossell and that fumble at the end, that was that was it. That was it, right? You know, BC would have won if they didn't screw that up. Um, but it was just a terrible loss. It was. There's no other way to put it. You can't sugarcoat this one because it was a game BC should have won. Halfley talked about it later. Like, you can't talk about moral victories anymore. They need to win these games. And they had Clemson on the ropes. They had a chance to end their 30-game home streak, and they failed to do it. Now they got a, two weeks to sit on this. How, they got to fix a lot on their offense. They got to fix some of these mental mistakes that are continuing to plague them. And they got to figure out how to better fit this offense around Grossell. And we'll talk a little bit about how 
the defense of Clemson kind of played into that, but he, they still need to kind of adjust it to work better for him because I think there's some things they can do to fix that. Now, in a moment, we're going to have Mitch Wolf on, and he's going to chat with us about uh, Saturday's game. But before we do that, Let's talk about Prize Picks. Prize Picks is a leader in college football daily sports. They offer more college football props than anyone in the world and offers all the star players of the Power Five and mid majors that you may not have heard of. When you head over to Prize Picks and you make a hundred dollar up to a hundred dollar deposit, they will match you a hundred percent when you use promo code Locked On. It's so simple to use. You just pick two to five players and under and over on their projections, and you can win up to ten times on any entry. And it's just you versus the projected numbers. They allow mixed sports entries too, which is a lot of fun. You could pick Jalen Brown and Dennis Grossell if you wanted to, and you could make that bet and have some fun with that. All you need to do is use the award-winning app on both the App Store and Google Play. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's that easy. Prize Picks is safe, and they offer fast withdrawals. Remember, use promo code Locked On or go to your App Store and download the app today. Prize Pick is daily fantasy made easy. Now, if you've heard me, you know I like to cook, and Made In is the place to check out. How does your favorite restaurant consistently make such delicious food? The short answer is they have the right access to the right kitchen tools. With Maiden's professional quality cookware and kitchenware, anyone is capable of making restaurant quality food at home. Maiden produces professional quality cookware for those who love to cook, not just professional restaurant people. I have their knives. They are amazing. I can't live without them. Made-in products are made to last, and they offer a lifetime guarantee. Their cookware distributes heat evenly and can easily go from the stovetop to the oven. They have 40,000 five-star reviews, and their products are used by some of the world's best chefs at Michelin-starred restaurants around the world. Made-in has a special deal you need to check out. If you go to madeincookware.com slash locked on and use promo code locked on, you'll receive 15% off your first order. That's madeincookware.com slash locked on and use promo code locked on. This is Locked On Boston College. AJ Black here. With me, I have my Monday co-host, Mitch Wolf. Mitch, how's it going? Eh, you know, it could be better. You know, obviously coming off a pretty tough weekend from a BC football perspective. Yeah, I mean, it was it was one of those games, you know, it's been a while since there's been a heartbreaker like this. I feel like where uh, I could say Clemson last year, but mm-hmm. it hasn't it. This game felt so winnable and it just slipped away. Um, Mitch, how are you surviving? <laughs> um, well, you know, I followed up this game with going to my other football team, the Pittsburgh Steelers and watching their completely inept offense play football. So yeah, it's been a uh, pretty terrible <laughs> <laughs> watching Beth, Ben Roethlisberger completely, uh, a road in front yeah, of you. Literally just like fade away into dust. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So speaking of quarterbacks, let's, we're going to talk about the offense and, th- and there's so much to talk about here. And um, Twitter was blowing up. My site was blowing up. Everything was blowing up with people talking about the offense on uh, Saturday and overall, Mitch, what was your takeaway from the offense? What did, I mean, obviously there were three turnovers. Grossell looked a little out of, out of, out of um, sync there, but, just like give me your overall perspective on the offense. So I'll tie this to the Steelers again in that I think a lot of the blame here sadly falls on the quarterback in that I I, 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 do, I just still do think that 
Frank Signetti and Jeff Halfley have not done the best job of tailoring this offense more to help Dennis Grissel and try to mitigate his limitations in that he's taking a lot of long, deep dropbacks with hard play action with long developing routes. And again, for the most part, the offensive line can hold up there. But the problem is, is Grossell is taking that extra second to read the field where he's not sure if he can get the ball in. And that's what's causing incompletions, sacks, fumbles, interceptions, what have you. But I still think that a good share of the blame falls on Grissel because no matter, except for like maybe the last two drives where he was kind of just running no huddle out of the shotgun, he was just, he couldn't get his process accelerated. So he was, you know, making those poor throws, you know, holding on to the ball too long. I think what we saw in those last two drives was good in that we saw him operate out of shotgun, you know, go with some more quick passes and found guys open. I think that's something that BC can build upon moving forward. But at the end of the day, he just made too many costly mistakes over the course of the game that pretty much prevented BC from winning. Yeah. I mean, I was stunned after the game. I, you know, I could go on a whole tirade right now about the ACC network and how hard it was watching some of that because they don't give you any extras on that. It's just basically their, their film. And then there's no replays from different angles. It's all just like one, you know, cut for everything yeah. so it's hard to watch um but it was interesting after the game that grossell talked about his fumble obviously that was the play of the game with 11 mm-hmm. seconds left he fumbled the, uh, 30 seconds left on the 11 yard line he fumbles the ball and he said he took he he took the his eye off the ball he said he looked up at the clock and kind <clears> of <throat> panicked it sound like mm-hmm. from what he said from what from what i took from that it's that he might've like the center was on some kind of cadence and then him and Grossell had a miscommunication. That's what caused the ball to be snapped. I think that's might've been what he meant more. So, um, but yeah, I mean, there were a, a few botched snaps that really screwed the BC offense over the course of the game. And, you know, th- that happens. And I, I think happily mentioned this as well, that, you know, obviously the stadium was super loud when BC was on offense and that with the number of false starts and pre-snap penalties, that uh, that definitely played a role in how BC's offense performed on Saturday night. Right. And I think that gets into one of my other comments that I wanted to talk about, which um, I, I would be remiss to not bring up the, the large, it seems a large group of BC fans that want Grossell benched. And I look, you know, I, I get it now that it's past Clemson. I just imagine that if you put Emmett Moorhead or Matt Reeve out there against Clemson, they would have gotten annihilated. Um, oh, yeah. But I don't think benching Grossell is the answer because, yes, they are developing other quarterbacks. They are. You know, I've heard great things about Emmett Moorhead coming up, and Reeve has caught, um, and Dalen Mannard has caught half his attention. I just think there's a massive, there's good, there would be a massive drop off. And to do that, you would basically be risking just losing games that you could win with Grossell. What are your thoughts on this whole like thought process some fans have about benching Grossell? I definitely agree with that because, you know, even though this is obviously a down Clemson relative to the past years and they did have injuries on defense, Brent Venables, the defense coordinator, was throwing the kitchen sink at Grossell in terms of his blitz, like just, just blitzing him and also just the complex coverages he was throwing at him, which that's almost a credit to Grossell and that he's not just, you know, sitting back playing basic coverages like multiple times. Uh, Tim Hasselbeck called out how they were playing this trap coverage where they would bring the underneath defender and move all the guys around and stuff. And Grossell couldn't identify it, which that's tough to do. You know, pro quarterbacks mess that up from time to time as well. So I think that if you put a freshman quarterback or a guy like Dalen Menard in the game, they're going to make a lot of mistakes too. I think Grossell, again, does give you that ceiling where you can beat 
teams that aren't Clemson that don't have the elite talent that they do. You know, you can bring in, he can beat, you know, I think he can still beat NC state. No problem. He can definitely be teams like Syracuse, Florida state. You know, I, I think of the guys on the roster, Dennis Grossell still gives the best, this offense, the best chance to succeed. And the team has overall the best chance to win. And I think it's also that it's just a moot point. I mean, Jeff Halfley in his press conference today insisted that Dennis Grossell is going to be their quarterback moving forward. So, I mean, the, the internet chatter can continue all they want, but it's not going to change. And, and I think, I think the team knows, like they know that gross that Grossell is doing the work. He's, you know, he's playing his hardest. And I think that if you bench Grossell, I think that sends a really bad message. The rest of the team that like, okay, this guy, you know, is putting in the work he's, you know, he's out there, he's doing his best. You know, there were just, you know, things got away from him sometimes. And if you bench him, I think that sends a really bad message to the team that could cause the team to kind of fracture. Right. And just for the fans at home, always from Dan Rubin, who's been on this podcast a bunch and works for BC Eagles.com uh, right now. All, me and him, he always had a joke when I, he used to co-host with me that the, the backup quarterback is the most attractive player on the team. Like the, the, the most, most popular player on the team. It's the one the fans all want. Um, you don't have that when Jakovic's out there because obviously you have the best player out there, but mm-hmm. right. Just be careful. I remember back in 2015, there was always, Everyone wanted everyone else to quarterback because you always listen. I I am the one remaining John Fadule stan on this planet. I I loved him (laughs) when he came in, mainly just because it was kind of just the meme quarterback. Yeah, yeah. So, Mitch, before we um, go to our our last segment, uh, talk a little bit about Trey Barry. I thought it was a breakout game for him. Yeah, I mean, he was my first star in my three stars article, and you know, it was pretty easy to pick him as one of them because, you know, like I said in the article, you know, he came to BC to prove that he can play against power five defenses. And he showed that on Saturday night, you know, he was getting open. He had eight targets, seven catches for um, I want to say 81 yards or something like that. Um, And a lot of those catches came in really big situations, like the third and 11 when BC was backed up the shadow of their own goal line. He had a few catches on one of the final two drives. He had that big 33 yard catch coming out of the half. And, you know, obviously Barry is not a dominant run blocker at the point of attack. That's, but that's just not his game. He's a solid enough blocker. He's a decent pass blocker too, which is nice. Um, But, you know, he's shown that he's able to make those tough contested catches and he's also able to create yards after the catch. So I I expect, you know, with this bye week, I'm really hoping they finally start tailoring the offense a little bit. And I think a big part of that will be finding more ways to get Trey Barry involved. In a moment, we're going to get into the positives in this game, which was the defense, which some people still found negatives about, but we'll talk about them in just a moment. But before we get into that, let's talk, talk a little bit about Built Bar. Built Bar is a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. And right now they have a limited type flavor, the cookie dough chunk, which is my favorite. I have two boxes at home. I bought my own because it's my midday snack. It's loaded with protein, so it keeps me filled between the, you know that middle of the day when I'm feeling kind of down. Uh, it gives me that energy to get through you know, some late press conferences or, or, or putting together a podcast. So check out BuiltBar.com and they have nine other delicious flavors you can check out, including coconut, coconut almond, cherry, raspberry, mint brownie, peanut butter brownie, double chocolate, or salted caramel. There's a little something for everyone. And if you don't know which one you want to try, get the mix box. They have two of everyone, everything. So you get a little bit of everything. And if you head over to BuiltBar.com and use LOCKED15, you'll get 15% off your first order. Again, use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. This is AJ Black. I am joined by Mitch Wolf. Thank you all for making Locked On Boston College your first listen every morning for Boston College News. We really appreciate that. If you have not done so already, 
go to your wherever you get your podcast hit subscribe if you're on apple itunes give us a five-star review and write why you love boston locked on boston college and if you are a youtuber hit subscribe on the youtube button uh on the yeah, youtube button youtube page uh to make sure that you get all of our videos sent directly to your feed so we talked about the offense and we could you know we have two weeks we can talk about dancing ourselves for two weeks if we have to uh but we won't um and, but let's let's look at the defense. The defense I thought um, was really good, and my wife was watching it with me. She was falling asleep on the couch over and over again. Uh, that's what happens when you have a four month old. Um, and she was just going on about how like the defense was not pressing, and I'm like, really, it, it's okay that they're giving up all these chunks because they're 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 tightening up in in the uh, the the red zone and wherever you know on their side of the field. Mitch, tell me about what you thought of the defense. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, Clemson's going to be able to make plays just because they do have so many talented players. And you do want to have that defense that does buckle down when, you know, the chips are down. You need to make those plays. And like you said, I thought they did a pretty good job of doing that for the most part. Obviously, sometimes the offense put them in bad positions due to turnovers. But, you know, they forced a ton of field goals. They had one bust early in the game where uh, Kobe Pace had that long touchdown. But other than that, they did a really good job of keeping Clemson out of the end zone for the most part. Um, they were helped out a lot by Clemson receivers just not catching the ball for random reasons. Like I keep thinking of that back shoulder throw DJ had to Joseph Nagata, where just a perfect back shoulder fade and Nagata just dropped it for unbe- un- reasons unbeknownst to me. But yeah, I mean, I was really impressed by, you know, Brandon Sebastian, you know, he did get beat sometimes, but for the most part, he was holding up and covered quite well. Um, and, you know, the front seven, I thought did pretty much did their job. You know, they, they had a few busts, like I said, but you know, they prevented mostly some, a ton of explosive plays from breaking out. Yeah. And so if I think we talked about it last week, but just so you're a reminder, Halfley, just to get his philosophy, it's, it's good to know what, how he views defense. And he, he said in his press conference, he said that the, you know, yards are a garbage stat. It's, it's points. And mm-hmm. honestly, that's, it's a good point, right? Like you can get 600 yards, but if you're turning the ball over, it's pointless. Right. Mm-hmm. And BC was able to, to, to kind of slow down Clemson all over the place. Um, and you mentioned the cornerbacks and I wanted to kind of give my feedback on that as well, because I thought they did an excellent job. Um, I saw some great plays by Elijah Jones. I saw mm-hmm. Josh DeBerry make a good play. Jason Matry obviously had that sack uh, mm-hmm. to, to uh, extend the game. Um, the, I, I just, I was impressed with how clean their, their technique was because and I'll let you diatribe against Dabo in a minute, but every time it was just, they were able to ride that line in, in coverage between really good coverage and pass interference because, you know, they would get the ball and, and knock it out of the hands or, you know, they were like right on the wide receiver. Can you talk a little bit about, I know you're into the scheme kind of thing, like what you noticed about like uh, their, their, their style and skill on in the secondary. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be hard for me to tell just kind of off broadcast tape, especially with defensive backs, where it's hardest to scout them from broadcast tape. But from what I saw, you know, th- that that is a pretty tough skill to be able to consistently work with is your ability to, uh, you know, stick in man coverage and or even zone where you're just being in the area and not commit penalties. And, you know, when you're attacking the ball at the catch point, not committing penalties, just a good sense of timing. And I imagine that's something that uh, Tafley and as Azar Abdul Rahim uh, have worked on a lot, you know, making sure that technique is good. And it it really shown through, you know, there weren't, I think there was maybe one holding penalty on Sebastian, but I don't think there were any like big defensive pass interferences. 
uh, but they let him lay out a lot of good pass breakups, which, you know, that's really good to see. So, uh, we, you know, we can talk about the defense here, but I just kind of alluded to it. I had two thoughts about Clemson and I want to kind of get him out there. First of all, what the hell happened to DJ Uyagalale? Because he looks completely snake bitten now. I don't know. When he came back against BC last year in the second half of that game, he looked every bit of the five star quarterback that was going to take Clemson to the next level. Other than maybe a turnover or two by, by, Grossell, I thought Grossell went toe to toe with him because I was not impressed with DJ at all. What was your impression of him? Because he didn't, he, I mean, was it scheme? Because it seemed like they had him like doing a lot of designed runs that didn't work to his strengths. They didn't seem to like really put him in a uh, position to succeed. Yeah, Tim Hasselbeck brought that up. He said, you know, Trevor Lawrence and Deshaun Watson were obviously like great scramblers because they were great space athletes. And, you know, DJ had that big run against BC last year. So he's got that straight line speed, but he might not just not be the greatest, you know, agile, explosive athlete, which that you kind of need that. And he's able to use his size, you know, power forward on some of those interior quarterback runs. But as a passer, I think, again, I think a big part of it was his receivers not playing very well. And I think that's been the case for, for this entire season. They're just not really fighting for balls. They're, you know, more focused on trying to draw penalties. I think Clemson's passing offense, and this has been, you know, supported by tons of people that their passing offense is just extremely simplistic. It's just a lot of very basic mirrored concepts. So you're, if you have two receivers on each side, they're each running the same pattern or concept. And, you know, that's relatively easy to take away when the receivers aren't as good in the quarterback. I, I still think he was okay. I, I think there were, I think yeah, I was talking to a friend of mine about this. And I think the biggest issue is he, just doesn't have his arm all the way under control. Cause you saw him like throw some fastballs into the dirt on like screens. And I think if he can just kind of temper his arm and get that working, you know, having a better understanding of when to use the right velocities for throws, then I think he can take the next step forward. But, you know, we do have to remember he is a true sophomore. He doesn't have a ton of playing experience. And again, I think, I think the offense isn't doing him any favors. I think his receivers are, if not actively hindering him, they're not doing any, any favors either. I thought I loved Tim Hasselbeck's comment about if he threw a grenade, he wouldn't have killed anyone. Yeah. <laughs> um, but all right. So Mitch, we have a couple more minutes left and I want to let this be an open mic a moment for you. Talk about Dabo Sweeney and what you noticed on Saturday. <laughs> well, I noticed that as usual, Dabo Sweeney doesn't coach. He yells at the refs. He yells at his players and then at the end of the game, he says, oh, you know, we are a great team, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, he does that thing where he charges down the hill after rubbing Howard's rock and sprints out in front of his team. That's definitely not making it all about himself or anything. Uh, not standing alone on the field as hundreds of thousands cheer for him. Definitely not a selfish thing. Um, but, yeah, I, I just don't think he's that good of a coach. I think that he's a great, I think he's a great recruiter, even though I've been told that his recruiting practices are relatively unsavory. I don't like how he always brags about his players graduating three years from arguably the worst academic institution in the conference. I think that he relies completely on his coordinators. Brent Venables has been one of the best defensive coordinators in college football, and Clemson pays, sorry if I'm going to get in trouble with this, out the ass to keep him there so he can save Dabo. And he's getting, he's finally, the chicken is finally coming home to roost for him on offense with Tony Elliott, who's been terrible. I think he is a bad, or maybe not a bad coach, but he is an average coach who has been aided by coordinators and elite quarterback talent with two of the best college quarterbacks in college football over the last 20, 30 years in Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence. Yeah. He, and I, it's clearly showing on offense how much Jeff Scott meant to them too. Mm -hmm. Cause I know, I know he was their offensive coordinator for a while and 
there's a, a nice correlation between where their offense went when he left for USF. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I was, I could not believe the whining he was doing um, after, I mean, like he gets to go off and, and say something at halftime and what does he choose to do? He cries about the refs. Also, he's also, he's not going to get fined for that. And Jeff Halfley said, you know, I'm not going to talk about the refs after that ridiculous onside offsides missed call. So, you know, I imagine that if Halfley said something, he would get a hefty fine from the ACC, but you know, Dabo can basically say whatever he wants. Yep. Because they can't piss off Clemson. So Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. And I, that, I mean, what, before we leave that play was um, that offsides play was unbelievably egregious. Yeah. I've never, I've truly never seen anything like that. I mean, Andrew Booth was in front of the defensive end, in the B gap between the tackle in and the guard and, and the ball was being snapped. And I, I, and I mean, Grissel took the sack cause he was like, Oh, it's a free play. Like this is definitely going to be offsides and no call. I just, I could not believe it. Yep. So Mitch, uh, thank you for coming on. I'll have you on again tomorrow to talk more about um, the epic battle. It's BC is off this week, but we have some great football coming up because it's thank UMass- God. I mean, the bye week could not come at a better time. You know, we have to have all of our attention on, the game of the century in UMass that is UConn. exactly. <laughs> so Mitch, where can people find you on Twitter? You can find me at Mitchell T Wolf, W O L F E. Um, mostly tweeting out my BC stuff there, uh, trying to keep up with following the draft and following some draft draft prospects this season and just tweeting about college football and, you know, my misery over the Steelers. All right. If thanks, that's your Mitch. thing. And uh, <laughs> no, thank is, you. This is AJ black. You can follow me on Twitter at AJ black underscore BC. Follow Locked On BC on Twitter as well at Locked On BC. Make sure to check us out on YouTube. And we'll be back again tomorrow with even more analysis of this game. It's a bye week, so we're going to kind of just break down the game. We'll be continuing our conversation. I'm going to have another recruit on later this week. I'll tell you who that is as we get closer, and we'll have more news to talk about. Take care, everyone.